Okay, episode 47. Oh god, I just poured tea all over myself. Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 47 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the B-Scotch ID slash web master. I'm Sam, and I'm the guy who makes art sometimes. Yeah, but not an artist. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. We can Which, talk about that we later. Talk- uh, today's April 26th, 2016. And before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity and some seriously inappropriate stuff coming down the pipes in this podcast. So It's more serious than it is inappropriate. Yeah. I have so a quick are, question. Yeah. Oh, wait, we hold do. on. Okay. Let finish me, your, let me finish your my warning. warning. Children, go away. All right. Carry on. Nice work. Okay. I've been thinking about this lately. Coffee with Butterscotch is a long as fuck name. Mm-hmm. How can we shorten this? The best I could come up with was Quibs. Yeah, no. Nope. That's Mm-mm. got, you know, it doesn't Mm-mm. feel good. <laughs> it sounds dangerously close to a different word that is not so pleasant, which Quibs I will not. Quibs does? What? I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going <laughs> to. See, but now I'm really... Now I'm intrigued, case. but I'm not going to push. I'm not going to push, push my it, luck. boys. Don't push That's it. a risky mm-hmm. click. Right there, what that is. <laughs> Have you thought about maybe coffee butts? Mm, how about cough butt? Cough butt's pretty good. <laughs> Just straight up cough butt. <laughs> Welcome to cough butt, or say what else? What? Yeah, I, I think maybe coffee with BS would also be. You know, it's kind of a double entendre. Or I, got, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll need to maybe take some suggestions from from our listeners on that one. I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about the stuff up front. We just had this discussion before we started the podcast, but it's a good, excellent moment to say we have a Facebook page now for the podcast, so you could go. That's true. You could go opine on this very question there, but we'll put talk your about face that in our book. Think about how you'd abbreve coffee with butt to sketch. Is it quibs? Is it cough butt? Who knows? Maybe it's something else we haven't even maybe thought it's about yet. Cow butt. But C-O-W-B-U-T. I think W-B-U-T. But I think we got to move on from this because there's there's something a lot more pressing, and that's the indie apocalypse. Oh my God! Which, Welcome to indie apocalypse. Watch twenty sixteen. So Adam, uh, you can go ahead and go on the whatever the fuck you're on the front lines or something. Some news giant. Yeah. What's going on with indie apocalypse? <laughs> Let's turn it over to Adam in the uh, uh, weather forecasting. The, the indie I think we talked about this maybe. What is the indie apocalypse and who gives a shit and is uh, it real? I guess the answers are it's made up, nobody, and no. So we really <laughs> could move on <laughs> from there, probably. But it, what, it, what it comes down to is this uh, impression that a lot of people have that the indie game development scene is going to disintegrate beneath our very feet. Because there are so many people doing it that it is now impossible to compete and be successful. Excuse me, I'm just thundering real hard. Over yeah, here. don't worry, I'm I'm throwing airplanes around outside my window. So sweet, we're just covering all the loud background noises. I'm just eating some sausage and cheese. So I guess we're all doing Dude, loudly. Stuff. I, I assume. <laughs> uh, so this uh, this indie apocalypse thing. It's just that it's a sort of this idea that because it's so easy to get into the market of games that now nobody can win. But why do people think that? I don't 
I don't know. I mean, it, it, it makes sense if you don't think about it too much, right? Because it's like, there are more things, therefore, and people don't have enough money to buy all of them. Therefore, they necess- you're, you're spreading the same amount of purchases over many more. It's a simple supply-demand cross-curve yeah. set. It's just that supply is Supply goes infinite. up, demand remains the same. Therefore, if assuming, you know, that every game is the same, which is the problem here. Like, that is the, the problem here. It's yeah. a, assuming every game is the same and has an equal chance of success, then you have the same number of players being distributed evenly across a larger and larger number now, of games. As it turns out, though, that is a bold and dumb assumption to make. Yeah, it's so, just totally incorrect. So the successful games, so the reason we're talking about this is because, what's his name? Uh, the dude who Sergey. runs... Sergey. who runs Steam Spy posted a... He finally has a, a full year of data so he could compare how well indie games are faring now versus this same time last year. And interestingly, the median indie game is doing much, much worse because there's a lot more of them. Uh, but the the indie games that are at the top, you know, the top performing ones, are performing almost exactly the same as they did last year. So basically there are just many more games that are performing poorly than there used to be, which yeah. is not the same as saying that it's harder to succeed. So there's the same you, number of... Game. There's the same number of good games competing for players and an ever-increasingly large number of not-so-good games, I guess. If you're kind of struggling at the bottom, then yeah, it's absolutely true that it's now harder to get out of the bottom because there are just many more people down there. Actually, I shouldn't say that games that aren't performing well aren't good. That's uh, not necessarily the case. No, it's not. It's not at all the case. Games that aren't good tend to not perform well, but not vice versa. But it doesn't always go the other way. Yeah. Because as we've talked about a lot of times in the past, the the most important thing that you do as as a person running a studio is the selling and PR part of your games, not making the games themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So there is no such thing as an apocalypse, blah, blah, blah. Just keep making good stuff. All right. Move on with the lives. Yeah. Just move on. Okay, so there's something I wanted to talk to you guys about uh, on this podcast, and it's not something that we've really talked about, you know, so this will be an interesting conversation. So here in St. Louis, we have given a whole bunch of talks. There's a huge game development scene here. There's something like 1,100 people in the uh, game developers meetup group. We have a thing called the St. Louis Game Dev Co-op. Which I is thought it was awesome. all the people in St. Louis were in the Game Dev Co-op. Um, sure. It's... It's kind of getting to that point. We we've used to have two separate groups and we've merged them together, and so we're like still f- sort of working on. So that it used process. to be like most people in St. Louis, and then the Game Dev Co-op, and now you've merged those two groups. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's complicated, but in any case, there's a shitload of people in St. Louis who are making games and we have, uh, you know, tried to maintain a, a pretty active role in that group. And we've given lots of talks. We've talked about game design. We've done postmortems. We've talked about how to build a game studio. Um, and Sam and I were talking the other day about there's sort of one fundamental underlying problem. Uh, which is if you want to build a game studio or make games or whatever, There's one thing you really have to learn to do first before you can do any of that stuff. And that's basically just how to sort of like get your shit together. I guess <laughs> it's really, it's kind of just like how to do stuff, just how to, how to, cause we often get a question of people like, how do you stay motivated? Like, how do you find the drive to keep, you know, working on stuff? Um, and I, it's, 
it's a weird question to ask because it's not, I think it's not something that you should have to like go looking for. Um, but what I was wondering is, is this a talk that would actually be useful to people or would it just amount to us basically just kind of saying in a whole bunch of different ways, just go do stuff. <laughs> and, and, and if we say that, is that even helpful to people who are struggling to do stuff? Because it sounds so simple. But then the question is, is there, cause really what you're asking is, is there a secret or, or do you just decide to work on stuff? To me, I just decide to work on stuff and then do it. Well, but here's There's no yeah, secret so, about like what but gives me motivation or anything. Maybe that's what the secret is, though, Adam. Maybe that, you just yeah, gave that it is all the away. Secret, you know? that, yeah, that is the secret. It's the same thing as when people go, oh, what's your secret? Like, how are you like so fit? You know, people say to people who are in shape. And the answer is always going to be. I exercise. I exercise a lot and I maintain a healthy diet. Like. There is absolutely no question uh, in science about how to do that, right? Like, it's very well documented. (laughs) I think the biggest question to me, though, and I think the reason you're pointing out this in particular is the question of, like, how maybe of jumping the gun, so to speak, as far as giving a talk on how to build a studio or how to balance a game, if it's the case that that someone's not necessarily even going to sit down to put in the time to do so, right? So we want to back it all the way up. To the first right down to the fundamentals. But I think that the interesting sort of question here is is more so asking why it is that anybody or that people in general tend to feel blocked about achieving their dreams. And this is something I've always found very interesting. And of course, I studied psych in school and positive psych in this whole uh, aspect of almost like self-help books and things. I've always found super interesting because they all sort of address this particular problem, which is that everyone has dreams and everyone has aspirations, but for some reason, it's just so easy to not do them, like to not work on them. And yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, not doing something is generally going to be easier than doing something. Right. But even when, I mean, easier in an, in an energy sense, sure. But I mean, yeah, yeah. easier in a mental anguish sense, absolutely not. Easier in, uh, you know, sort of uh, coursing your the life course that you set for yourself. Like, you know, there there's a lot of things that it's not easy in at all. And so well, I think but it's, it's a long-term versus short-term thinking, right? Because it's, because yeah, I mean, you're technically correct that you're going to be better off. Therefore, in a sense, it's easier to like get your shit in order. But at the moment to moment, the easier option is always for that entire, like your entire life period. The easier move is to always not do that thing. Right. So I guess my question then is what is the thing that actually should be discussed or should be looked into? Is it actually say visualizing and planning of these sorts of things? Because maybe it's just the case that there's a disconnect between what someone wants to do and the plan necessary to actually get them there. And that's where the problem comes. Maybe it's that people think there's a secret. When really there is, <laughs> and that the and that the people who have gotten there know something that they don't. Yeah, well, when the fact is there there isn't anything there. It's just that you just go do a thing. This does kind of remind me of uh, of the the problem with school. I think in general, having gone through a bunch of it, and then now uh, Seth and I have gone and given a couple of talks at some of the local colleges to students, and every time they get asked this question, which is like, "How do I start making games?" and the answer is always. Go download start Game Maker making, yeah, start making and games. do tutorials for four hours tomorrow. And you'll Yeah, well, it's not even that. It's just like when you collapse that down to the general, the general answer is just the question doesn't make sense. 
But no, but I think that I think that's that is in my mind uh, not paying respect to the to the person's problem at all. The to person's just say that current, this makes sense. current understanding or, or framing exactly. of the way things happen. And I think that's the issue because like because essentially what what a lot of people are waiting for is for some is like you were saying, Adam, for a secret for someone to teach them something, right? Or, or for, for permission. For permission, uh, oftentimes is what you get from school. And the reality is that you don't need permission to do anything for the most part, and you don't need teaching to start teaching yourself stuff. You know, like you don't need someone to tell you. You can just go pursue it uh, in and of yourself. And so I think the, the biggest question I have about giving a talk like that is just whether or not it would just completely miss the mark. Because is it a problem of motivation or is it a problem actually of, of perception or something else? Because these well, are all I, I so think bound the together. People, yeah, I think a lot of the people here in the game dev community, um, they have already started working on stuff. I'd say probably most of them, in fact. It's, it's a matter of continuing to work. To, to me, it's a question of like somebody who works on games for two hours on the weekends, you know, versus somebody who works on games for every hour that they have, you know, like there's a huge disconnect between those two people. Um, and if somebody really wants to make it, like if they really want to get there, they just have to do it. Like they have to put in the time. They can't, it can't be like a side thought, like that they're, you know, doing, uh, on this, on the edges of their day-to-day life. And I don't like, I, I feel like that's something that needs to be conveyed, but I don't quite know how to like, how to get it out there in such a way that people will respond to it. Well, I know, I remember I was talking to my uh, mentor here and he mentioned a story where he's very good at, at chatting with people and sort of helping them solve their problems. And so he was getting this sort of steady stream of people being sent to him who had various issues with getting their stuff together. And after a few years of this, he became very disheartened because he found that no matter how long he spoke with someone or, or what sort of stuff was said or how he's you know, pointing them in what directions or else, no matter what, the talk with them never mounted to anything because, as he put it, you can't put a fire in someone to do something. It has They have to do it themselves. And there's a certain point at which that will happen if, say, shit gets too rough or maybe you get diagnosed with cancer super early in your life. Or, you know, there's, there's plenty of things that will make you snap out of just sort of laying around all the time. Um, well, maybe. Not everybody responds that way to even right. but that's the most the compelling of situations. So that's the question. But I think that's the question. Like, if you give a motivational talk and one person walks away and, say, you know, starts having like a 10 percent gain in their just general life general well-being is that like is that a worthwhile thing to do like do you I mean, need I think so you know do you need to turn a country over in order to make it a worthwhile talk or is it just the sort of thing where maybe maybe just a one-on-one yeah in i mean my, case, i'd prefer the question that, that seth was really that seemed to be getting at which is just if your goal is to get people to figure out how to actually do the thing they claim they want to do, what's the most effective way to do that? We could make utilitarian arguments about, oh, if only one out of a thousand people do it and you spend an hour of your time, you've just done something amazing. You've changed a person's life if you've made them like see things from a different perspective. And there's certainly truth to that. But to me, the far more interesting question is on our end, what is it that we can do or the other people who are going out and doing the thing that they want to do? What can we do to help people figure out their shit as effectively as possible? But I, I, I don't know. Like to me, it sounds like, cause I would agree. I've, I mean, I've had this, the same experience with other people. It's always seemed to me that, that people who, who are constantly asking about how to become motivated never actually get there. I think it's actually fair to say that the question itself 
doesn't make sense and it's the wrong question. As soon as you've asked it, it kind of now puts you in the place to be doing the wrong thing because it presupposes that there is some secret there that you just haven't figured out yet. And then if well, you keep on only- asking the question, eventually you'll figure it out. And that's when all of a sudden it'll catch. <laughs> Instead of just saying yeah. there is no secret, there's nothing I'm missing. I just either I'm going to decide to do this or not. Those are my two options. Well, I think there's a deeper issue with asking that question. So so let, let's say you decide that you are going to eat healthy just from now on, like you're just, you're done with eating junk food, right? You go into the grocery store and you walk past the candy aisle. Do you get to look at that candy and make a decision about whether to eat it? In theory, no, because you've taken that option off the table, right? If this is, if this is your new life, then you should walk past that candy and feel nothing because it's no longer an option. And similarly, if somebody says, Hey, you know, like I want to make games, um, but you know, how do I find the motivation to do it? There should not, like when you sit down at your computer at the end of the day, there's, there should never be a debate about what you're going to be doing that evening. It's never, do I play video games or make video games? No, you make video games. I'm at home now. What I do is make video games because that's what I want. I want to become a video game developer. Now that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So assuming that you need to have motivation to do that presupposes that you are making a decision like right up front, which you, you know, you just can't do. I think that do it. The most fun reason to think about it like that is because it actually becomes less taxing mentally to do most of the things that you technically want to do with your time and with your life to pursue it that way because there's no longer the internal debates and the struggle and that sort of thing it's simply what you do but I think the problem is in the conversion from living a life where you have been you know willy-nilly flopping around on a different subjects converting that into actually in a sort of disciplined sense not you know and actually focusing on the thing that you technically quote-unquote are supposed to be focusing determined by yourself at a prior time like that's I don't think that's a casual transition to make. No, I, yeah, I agree. And that, I think that's the problem. Like that, that's the difficulty is how do you get someone to go from, from there to there? Cause yeah, I could say, you know, and I did like the last two weeks, I didn't have coffee at all. Um, but then on Thursday or whenever we were jamming on Friday afternoon, we went to uh, a coffee shop, Seth and I did. And I was like, I'm going to have some coffee today cause I need it for this jam. I want to try doing it and I want to see how it affects me now. <laughs> had some coffee and I got way over jazzed and then got exhausted after three hours. <laughs> <laughs> So it worked, which was over jazzed, over jazzed. Did that come with over jazz hands or was that a, I was, yeah, he was was trembling with jazz fever the whole time. Yeah. His hands were vibrating enough that I guess you could consider it jazz hands. Yeah. So I guess my point though is, so I, the question is, was that an appropriate thing to do given that I had sworn off coffee? Right. I think that's, that's an interesting thing because at what point do you get to go back and like, you know, make the decision again as to what it is that you want to do, because maybe you pledge yourself, say, to making games. And we, we actually have some friends who did this, um, who pledged themselves to make games, went at it really, really hard. David Von Allman is the best example. Went at it really hard for, for a few months and then realized that he actually wanted to, to pursue writing full time. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sat back, made that conscious switch. And now he just does that. And he got he got his first publication in a, a writing magazine uh, this week. So he's you know, he's he's crushing it. But the question is, like, how do you how do you actually do that? Because well, it's not that you can't 
change your mind about what you decide to do. But when I think, so when does it, when is it you sort of like giving up or giving into something versus you making a mental choice? I think. See, so that's I, the I thing think is I think there is no, there's no like giving up or it's just, it's always a choice. You always get to decide, am I going to continue doing what I've been doing? Am I going to continue pursuing my dream or I'm going to not? I think that to me, that's where the problem is because as soon as you say, as soon as you refer to it as a lack of motivation or something like that, you're basically offloading the responsibility to some sort of like imaginary secret. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, I've decided just now that it is more important to me to watch Netflix and eat ice cream than to go exercise for half an hour and then program my video game. Which sometimes, sometimes it fucking is. I do that. I do that frequently, but I always do it (laughs) as a conscious decision. I don't say, oh, I'm feeling so unmotivated. I guess I'll just do this and then feel bad about myself. I'll just think, I've been programming all day. I'm kind of tired of it. I'm going to go do something else that I enjoy instead. And it's a conscious decision. So is that is that simply the difference then? Is it is it the difference between making a conscious decision about pretty much everything you're doing? I think so. Because yeah, I, I think yeah. it's I think true. Because it like I don't I don't feel anything when I'm I don't feel guilt or anything when I am relaxing or when I like take a break. Like I for my lunch break today, I put together the mower and mowed my yard, which took like. And you're gonna minutes. have to do it again tomorrow because we just got a huge yeah, ass storm. <laughs> But I mean, like, so, you know, I, I took that time to do it. Didn't feel guilt or anything during the time because I was like, I just finished building a 2D explosion for two and a half hours and I'm good. Like, I need to take a little break, build something with my hands and we're going to come back to it later, you know? And I felt like that was a, a conscious choice that I made that felt good. So is that just the difference, do you think? Well, I, it's, it's a matter of, so, so what you're talking about is like taking care of shit that needs to get taken care of. Sure. Right. Like mowing the lawn. I think it's, it's more of a question of like, if you sit down at your computer at the end of the day, you can very easily uh, pop open a Chrome tab and browse Reddit for six hours or open up Netflix or Hulu or, you know, there's, there's infinite media to consume on the internet. But in that exact same time frame, uh, you could do something that actually moves you closer to where you want to be in your life. Um, and I think that's, but the problem with like something like, you know, binge watching a series on Netflix, uh, you generally aren't doing that in a fully conscious way, right? Like it's, it's sort of a default behavior that you fall into, mm-hmm. uh, when you don't, when you sit down and you have a, a, a large block of time, uh, it's an easy way to just shut off your mind and just let things sort of coast. And I, and I think that is, that's the problem is mm-hmm. that it's an automatic behavior that you've like built in and it's hard to stop it as well. Once you get into that, rut. you know, I feel like instead of giving a talk, I feel like something like a round table would actually be, you know, literally where it's just like a whole, you just get everybody in there and then everyone just sort of starts rolling on this stuff because there's so many different angles to it. And like, yes, it does boil down to the idea of just go do your shit at the end of the day. But the, the methods by which you actually hit that, I think are so varied and depending on where a person's at, do you think like a round table discussion would actually, like, well, the, I think the even just talking the, to you guys about it, it feels like a discussion would just be a better way to do it. <laughs> well, the problem with a roundtable discussion is you will end up with basically a whole bunch. It, it'll almost end up in as a support group where you basically have a whole bunch of people. Uh, like everybody has things that, that they are like, there's no exception. I think everybody has something that they like Adam saying like, Oh yeah, like I'll go, you know, eat a shit ton of ice cream and watch a bunch of Netflix, you know, <laughs> like everybody has a thing that they know that when they do that thing, they could probably have been more productive during that time. And I think if you get a whole bunch of people together, you'll end up with just a lot of people sort of sharing very specific things about their particular problem. 
And I think ultimately the the solution to all these things is pretty much the same. And that comes down to simply understanding how to become conscious of what you're doing and turn everything you're doing into a decision instead of an automatic behavior. Well, and, but even the automatic part aside, right? Like, cause you, you are referring to these things as problems. I don't think sitting down and vegging out over Netflix with ice cream is a problem at no, all. No. It's, it's a problem. It's one of life's great pleasures. No, <laughs> right. sitting down, binge watching Netflix and eating a shit ton of ice cream is a problem if you do it every night and you haven't thought about it in advance, right? Well, um, unless you don't give a shit and like, that's just what you want to do. Then it's, then I would say it's still Maybe your life's problem. dream is to drown in a bucket Well, no, I mean, this is, so this is in the context, this is in the context of the overarching discussion of assuming you are a person with ambition who wants to make something of yourself. Right. Then spending every evening binge watching Netflix and eating a bucket of ice cream is probably a problem. <laughs> so, yeah, you're not going to get a lot of personal growth out of that. But anyway, we could talk about this shit for hours. The reason I even made that point is I think, again, that puts the that puts the discussion in the wrong place. It's like doing things that are bad versus doing things that are good right. with your time which I still think is not even the right way to think about it, even though, I mean, I agree with you that if you wish you were, if you want to be a video game developer and instead spend all of your time watching Netflix, without a doubt, that is in some sort of sense kind of like wasting your time. But I just think that's the wrong way to think about it because what it really is is you making a conscious decision that Netflix is more important to you than making video games and becoming a, a, a game developer. And it's the recognition of that decision that is the important thing. Because if you sit down and you, and you realize that fact where you claim publicly that you wish that you were a game developer or you want to be making games or whatever, be a novelist, etc. But in reality, what you do every day is watch Netflix. The fact is that that's not truly your wish. Well, but here's so here's where there's actually a, a sort of a, a disconnect with that is uh, so if you have you heard of the concept of a food journal? So I, I use I'll, I'll use like weight or dieting or whatever as an analog to this, because um, food is one of those things that often people want to change their behaviors with. Right. Um, one of the most effective ways for people to start to manage their diet is to not actually have a diet plan, but to just start documenting the things that they eat. It forces you to think consciously about. Right. So I, so I would agree with you about, you know, this idea that, you know, if you watch a, if you watch a ton of Netflix every night, then what you're doing is you're basically announcing to the world that that right there is more important to you than, you know, achieving your goals or your dreams or whatever. Um, that's, that can only be said to be the case if it's a conscious decision. If, if every night you sit down and you, and you think about it and you weigh your options, you're like, uh, I want to make game or I want to make stuff, but I also want to watch Netflix. So you're saying it's an autopilot. It's an automatic behavior. It's a habit. Default problem. It's a default behavior. Like if you sit down and the first thing you do is you have muscle memory and you know, you automatically pop open Chrome and you know, type like the letter N in your, in your address bar in one motion and it autofills Netflix and you just click on the first thing mindlessly. So what you're saying um, though, Seth, is just that it's just the fact that those are actually mutually exclusive things. Like once you're able to think about it and consciously decide, you're no longer able to waste your time. Essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Because you're, you're now doing exactly what you have decided to do. And you've become enlightened. <laughs> yeah, because then you either realize, okay. I mean, I've, truthfully, right. 
I actually prefer watching Netflix to chasing this dream that I thought was my dream. Yeah. And so at that's that point, what I'm going to continue to do. And at that point, you get to be more honest with yourself and you get to, you know, really think about things. But but if you if you aren't actually making a decision, um, then nothing can really be said about your behavior. Like, sure, maybe you do want to, you know, learn how to juggle or something uh, and you're not spending your evenings doing that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want it. It just means you don't understand how to take control of your brain yet and break it out of autopilot mode. You're just a robot. I mean, yeah, well, uh, the human brain is really, really good at automating tasks. Like that's what habits are. You know, there's a reason why you can drive on a, like a six hour road trip. And if you think back on things that happened during that road trip, you will remember nothing because... <laughs> Because your brain has automated the task of driving to the point where it's just not something that you even ever think about. Um, and the same thing applies with damn near everything in your life. So, yeah, mm. it's it's it will be an interesting. OK, so based on this conversation, do you think do you think we could get a talk out of this or a roundtable? I guess what what format do you think would be best? And does anyone care? <laughs> <laughs> does anyone care? If what we're saying is that to, to convert yourself from a person who doesn't have their shit together to someone who does, you have to convert them from being passive habit driven autopilot robot to which a isn't meant to be it's not meant to be an insulting term. It's, it's just the default human behavior. The human brain is just it's very diligent about automating behaviors. And it's really fucking easy to just like slip into a a set of default behaviors in your life. And your brain makes automated behaviors feel good. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, actually part that's of its true. job because that, that's how it automates tasks. Is it is it gives you an incentive to keep doing things a certain way so that they always work. And that's why it feels good just to do the same thing that you always do. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know, man. Okay. Well, I'd be curious to hear from from our listeners if this is something that, that would be worth, uh, worth pursuing. So anyway. Um, all right. So what do we want to hit on next? Do you want to hit we some got, news items or uh, or go to uh, go to questions? I think we should just hop into questions because we flew off the rails about this oh, whole we, productivity. We thing. flew on the rails so fucking hard. Yeah, we got we dug deep into these rails. <laughs> All right. I mean, sort I of like a subway. There's a, there's yes. an interesting side note to this. There is one news item that I think feeds into this, uh, which is my self handicapping behaviors, which I think would <laughs> yes. be you know pertinent. Uh, which is just just the fact that. So I had this realization on last, what was it, Friday, I think, you guys, when I was screaming? <laughs> I think so, yeah, Friday. Uh, basically, Seth pointed out that, you know, when he was getting going on games programming, the thing he did, his default behavior was he would come home from, from law school and he would pop up on Game Maker and he would just code until he went to bed. And then he would code in class, he would code between classes, he would just code whenever he had a spare moment. It was the default thing he did. I did the absolute minimum amount of law school work required to not fail, and then I just programmed games. <laughs> And the reality for me is that I've always viewed art. I've always viewed my job as art essentially as a utilitarian one. Like I need to just get this done. Is that utilitarian? Practical? I don't know. Is the wrong word? I don't know. I don't know what that is. Whatever, gentlemen's. Uh, so I would I would just get the work done required for work purposes. And whenever someone would ask me, "Oh, are you are you the one who makes? Are you the artist for butterscotch?" I'd say, "Well, I'm the one who makes the art." Uh, not an artist. But I'm not an artist. I'm just the guy who makes the art. Just thousands and thousands of works of art just happen to emerge from my Inkscape hand. And I think this really, so on, on Friday, Seth and I were chatting about this stuff, and I had this realization that like, holy shit, my dodging of the, of the label of artist has actually been a self-defense mechanism so that I can, I can say this. 
either the art that I made is not good because, hey, I'm not actually an artist, or <laughs> it's great because, hey, I'm not actually an artist. It's a win-win. This, this is the same thing that happens, and we sort of uh, poke at people who do this where they'll make a game and they won't market it. And then they'll just like put it up on the store because at that point, if it fails, you can go, well, I didn't market it. So what do you expect? You know, and if it does well, then you could be like, well, I guess it's just a fucking great game and it deserves to succeed. Right. Yeah. And so, so there's no there's no failure condition there. Yeah. And the thing that's really bothersome about this, if you examine some of your behaviors with regard to uh, sometimes it's relationships, sometimes it's like a, a sport if you're in or even schoolwork, um, this self-handicapping thing has been something I've, like I personally have always struggled with. And I thought, I thought that I finally defeated it my junior year of college when I got a D in this psych course um, because basically I wasn't trying. Literally wasn't trying at all. And with with the hope that I would get that result. Either I'm going to pass the test with flying colors, which is awesome because I didn't try. Look how smart I am. Or <laughs> or I'll fail. And of course I failed because I didn't try. And uh, I meant for that to happen. And basically this happened and my professor called me out. He was like, what the fuck, man? What are you doing? Uh, pretty sure you could do this. Also, the stuff we were learning was cognitive psych. It was all about memory and how to even like how to take tests more effectively. Like we were learning the thing that I would need <laughs> So like, really, like it's if there's like a double failure, it's like a meta. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It yeah. was amazing. Like I wasn't, I was not learning a damn thing. Like in a very <laughs> real sense. And so that's this, one test that literally everybody should pass. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but this, like, so this no excuse. This professor basically just challenged my, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I'd call it apathy in a sense, but this, whatever this was that I was doing, cause he was like, I can tell you're fucking smart, but for some reason you're failing these tests when really all the tests require is that you try, like you can't just not try, uh, which is what I have been doing and, and passing just fine in previous classes. And so uh, I was like, okay, fine. Like I'll, I'll try doing this thing. And of course, at the same time, I'm taking another psych class, which is about various cognitive biases and other behaviors. And one of which that we talked about that same fucking week was self-handicapping, which is this, this tendency to, if you're approached with something that's difficult to put yourself into one of these uh, ego win-win situations where no matter what, you would end up looking like you're okay, like you're good. Either and you meant for the failure to happen or you're so great because you succeed. Right. You, you, but you just you made a very important point there, which is that it's your ego in this particular situation yes. that, that is failing or succeeding, not actually you. Because in the case where you've handicapped yourself so that you get a D on a thing, you have literally failed at that thing. Well, yeah. I guess you didn't get an F, but failed enough well, yeah, at the thing. It's, an, it's close enough. <laughs> you, you failed enough at the thing. Even if you look at that and say, well, that's the expected outcome, so that your ego says, oh, I didn't fail here. I just did what I what My plan I has succeeded. My plan has succeeded. <laughs> My plan to fail was a success. <laughs> and it's the same deal so with, with the example you gave of, of making a game and then not actually trying to sell it because financially that game's going to be a failure. But that's what you meant to happen. Or just because you set yourself up so that your ego could handle that fact doesn't make it a success somehow. Right, right. And that, I think that's that was the interesting thing is having those two classes sort of juxtaposition next to each other sort of shocked me into understanding what had been happening. And this is something I've, I've genuinely had a very hard time with just my entire life. And I know Adam said you guys well, I mean, haven't. Does. I mean, like, I, yes, but I think at least maybe because I'm the younger brother here, like I have never had a conversation with the two of you where you're like, yeah, that's a... That's a problem. I like that's a particular motivational problem that I've I've gone through. Like you guys have always seemed like sort of more. I think as the youngest, more developed as the youngest, humans. it's uh, probably 
Because there's a lot of personality traits that get solidified or sometimes even like entirely defined by birth order and sort of like how close you are in relation to your siblings and years and stuff. Mm-hmm. Also, and I, depending on where the stars are when you're born, that could have a big yeah, that's true impact. Um, yep. But I and I think I think you know the fact is that since you were let's see, you're three years younger, I guess two and a half years younger than me, and I'm only one year uh, younger than Adam. And so it basically came down to, you know, when Adam was a freshman in college, Sam, you were a freshman in high school. And that's a that's a big enough gap that, um, you know, you, you like you were always kind of following behind, I guess, like in the in the trail that was being blazed by Adam and me. Yep. So you had to sort of adapt aspects of your personality to I don't know, because like you did a lot of the same stuff that we did. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like swimming and uh, school, no. I guess it is. School. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but by, by self handicapping, you never put yourself into a position where you had to compare yourself yeah, to what I never, we had done before. Exactly. You. I never had to compete with you guys by doing this. Um, so for example, I mean, I did, I did swimming. I did all the, I actually did all the exact same activities you guys did, but basically made sure that I never tried hard enough that it would be easy to compare you to me at the same level. Because, Although, you know, <laughs> to be fair, you probably did better than me at swimming. Because That's true, Adam. You were pretty terrible. I, I did was really bad. I did, and I believe I also did better than you guys on the ACT. I'm, gonna, you know, I'm just going to drop that. Yep, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Not that standardized uh, testing matters in any fucking sense at all. But No, uh, but it does show you how good you are at standardized testing, which you are good at. And for the record, I also did not study for that at all. <laughs> But again, that was probably because you wanted to be able to point to it and say, look, I didn't even study. And That's I still exactly did. why. No, but I, I think this is something that, you know, just because, say, Adam or, Adam or I haven't explicitly, you know, acknowledged that this is a thing. This is a thing that, that everybody deals with. I mean, yeah, I, I think the first time I actually I took the LSAT three times before I before I got a score that I was uh, OK with. And the first two times I didn't study. And I, it was that same exact thing huh. because I was yeah. like. I was like, I'm super good at standardized tests. Like, I I got this. And I took it, and I did not do that well. And then I was like, ah, it was just a fluke because, you know, I'm super good. And then I I took it again. That was basically the same path. It was two Ds in a row in that test. And I did equally terribly. And uh, at that point, I just kind of, like, shook it off. And I was just like, okay, what the fuck? Like, I'm I'm spending money and time. Like, I'm driving hours to other cities across, you know, the state of Iowa to take this fucking test. And, like, I'm just wasting my time. Here, I need to actually do something. So I, uh, I just got a whole shitload of practice tests, and uh, then every Saturday and Sunday, I would spend about eight hours each day for like several months just running through LSAT practice tests. Right. And the thing, the point about that is that that's actually where you're now putting your ego at risk because if it's the case that you study your ass off for months and take a test and then fail. That sucks. Now you got to admit something else about yourself. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that you're maybe. a little dull, you know, or maybe, maybe it's just the case that you have to reanalyze your testing methodology. You know, there's, there's also that, but, uh, but you have to actually acknowledge something about yourself. If it's the case that you fail when you genuinely try as hard as you possibly know how. And I think, I mean, so back to the you, point well, about exposed, my art. You're exposed, right? You're vulnerable. Exactly. So back to the point about my art, I don't do work. I don't do art outside of the work context. What I mean by that is I, I never have uh, up until three days ago, uh, <laughs> taken more than probably 15 minutes outside of 
actual butterscotch work time, which is usually, we don't have a hard nine to five, but roughly in that window until we're all kind of burnt at the end of the day. And I've never taken time to actually do art straight up. Like I just, I don't, do not take the time to <laughs> practice my craft. But even further, you've actively made sure that you didn't, even when stuff was related to butterscotch, if it was outside the context of making a sprite for a game. Correct. Yeah. If it's like, uh, yeah, when, when you made the, uh, the blog post about, um, uh, the Brahma. seed soul Brahma. Yeah. yeah. And I remember cause I was like, Oh, you don't be f- fucking sweet. If this had a cool image of, you know, of the characters or like something happening from the story in here. And Sam was like, nah, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's good. I'll just put it up, you know? And so, uh, so I, and my point here is just the fact like self handicapping is very, it's a very insidious thing. And Happens to everybody. Literally just happened to me after three years of working on Butterscotch and selling, you know, a crap ton of Crashlands copies successfully with the art in it that I realized that I wasn't actually doing, like, my job. Well, you don't, <laughs> you, know I mean? you don't get to, you don't get to say you're not an artist. Yeah, that's true. You just don't get to, you yeah. know, you are one and she you just gotta, you just gotta learn to live with that fact. Basically, <laughs> last, last Friday was this realization plus just me randomly screaming, shit. <laughs> Well, it's it's funny because, you know, like it's been a running joke ever since we started that Sam can't draw. Yep. Uh, And it's and it's it's actually still the case. Like if you put a pencil in Sam's hand and give him a a notebook to sketch in or something, it's going to take a lot of attempts before something decent comes. out. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Drawing using a pencil and paper is not what defines an artist. I know. But but it is is the case that like. That I know, Sam. I, I may be speaking for you. Hey, man, you know, go fine. But but I know it's the case that like it's even though it's been a running joke. I know it's something that you have been wanting to be able to do. Wanting in the same sense that some people you would say want to become game developers. Yep. Instead, play. though, you watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't well, watch Netflix. The Bachelor, but yeah. The, yeah. yeah. The bachelor. I watch the only TV show that matters, which is The Bachelor. <laughs> Slash Bachelorette. Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure how you're defining matters here. <laughs> Matters to to him, I guess. <laughs> to yourself. Anyways, the point being, uh, I'm, I'm working on it. Self-handicapping is hard. Working on it. And I practiced making fire last night for two hours and then made some explosions this morning that look good. And these are all in I real life, it. by the way. I got to say, I'm Just super proud. <laughs> I'm, I'm super proud because you made that fire without any intention of it being used in a game. Yeah, which I never fucking do, mm. ever. It's a big moment. So Is it better... going to be used in the game, though, anyway? Nah. No. Oh, okay. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's practice fire. Practice fire. All right, garbage. let's uh, let's jump into some questions before we have to wrap this thing up because we're having too much self-therapy here. Yeah, it's been a big week. Been a big week. All right, uh, wrapping into questions. These come from podcast.bscotch.net where you can ask them even if you don't have a Bscotch ID. You'll be anonymous, though. But you should get it. one because, come on. You should totally get one. Uh, so the first question comes from Hibbles who I'm assuming is Hibbler, who is our painter man, who mm-hmm. asks, the level of action, sass, and explosions in your games is pretty much that of an 80s action movie. Is that era of film ever a latent influence on the action and adventure tone of your games? And do you have other non-game influences that aren't super obvious? It's probably an implicit influence, but not an explicit influence. Yeah, Just given that our yeah. tiny, you know, our tiny infant minds were shaped by 80s movies. I was well, born I, in 89. I don't know what you guys are talking about. <laughs> I well, think yeah, there's we actually... We watched the same VHSs for like our entire childhood. They That's had a true. lot of VHSs. <laughs> I think there's actually, there's something much more simple at play here, which is... Um, when you want to keep your animation frames to a minimum, if you just put an explosion in the way, <laughs> then uh, you okay. can pretty much do whatever you want. Okay, going so. back to the art problem. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, explosions, if you can get a decent looking explosion, then you can really skimp on pretty much everything else. Yeah, we actually, and this is not a joke at all, we use explosions to hide nearly every transitional moment between various <laughs> characters' poses and stuff. Uh, I'm not kidding about that at all. So yeah, just if you start looking for it in our games, you'll notice that that's completely the case. And I'd recommend it, too, if you're working on art, because it saves on time, it saves on frames, so you can build more stuff. Plus... But- you get the added benefit of having explosions. Yep. What about other non-game influences, you guys? What do you what do you sort of pull into the work of making games that maybe doesn't necessarily come from a game or games in general? Hmm. Well, I I don't pull things explicitly or directly, but I know that, you know, growing up a lot of my writing was influenced by Dave Barry, mm-hmm. which I read a shitload of. That's goofy. That's about it. Adam Dan and Weird Al. Oh yeah, and Weird Al. Yeah, Weird Al and Dave Barry. We don't go out of our way to sort of intentionally harness a thing from our childhood or from pop culture or anything. But because, of course, those things shaped who we are so dramatically, implicitly, then, yeah, absolutely everything we do draws on all of that stuff. But the thing that keeps driving me crazy is that we... We keep getting people keep saying that our games are like Toe Jam and Earl. This this happens with every game we make, and I've never I'd never even seen that game or heard of it or played it. Uh, <laughs> but it's very eighties. It is eighties. It is. Yeah. So I think Maybe that's, that's probably what it is. It's kind of the era where we appear to be. Uh, built for but i think the reason is because it, it reminds me kind of like bollywood stuff where the movies were just there to be like they're just over entertaining the yeah yeah and i think i mean so the the only non non-obvious one i think uh does actually come from growing up which is that our house is generally filled with a lot of i guess mirth is that what you'd call it it's just that general sort of uh goofy joyfulness yeah. you know like does not really not really any uh, high levels of, of tension for the most part. Uh, pretty positive overall and just lots of jokes. Lots of jokes. And so I think... We take nothing seriously. Yeah, yeah I, I think, think that's part of that key. comes... I think that really is actually what you end up getting in a lot of these games that people react to. It's just that they are very... And we get that comment a lot that they're just very joyful. And like I think that's just where it pulls into the 80s and even the, like the Bollywood scene now, which is just... These things that are, they're literally just designed for the sheer purpose of making you like giggle a little bit. Well, and they don't take themselves seriously. And that's part of the joy that they bring. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. uh, Next question comes from, uh, this is from Dandalf21. And I want to know if you guys actually know the answer to this question, because I don't. He says, when I get attacked by a gallum in Crashlands, it says something, which is, of course, then digitized and messed up a bunch. What does it actually say? Honestly, I can't even remember which creature the gallum is because the gallum <laughs> and the gulanti i've barely seen it all and i can never and they both start with a g so i can never remember which one's which the so, gallum adam is the one that you voiced uh, and <laughs> oh adam voiced the gallum and it's the one that's it's the creature that's made of crystals that are fused together and then it bursts into pieces and then shoots electricity around itself. it kind of looks like a metapod it does from pokemon look a bit like a metapod um what, what the gallon say, says is is it just says <laughs> oh yeah and then right. and then it just got digitized and made to sound kind of crackly and electric 
which are like, like those uh, what the hell were those toys that we used they're to have that called uh, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. whistle whistle sticks they're or something like, like uh, that I don't know I call them scream tubes <laughs> scream tube scream tubes all right next question comes Actually, from, I would love to have a tube that if you waved it around it just screamed like one of those goats <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you could somebody make that. make that make that happen <laughs> I think they the should make those screaming goat videos are some of my favorite things in the universe. Yes. Make those and then distribute them to one of the World <laughs> Cup events, like those fucking Vuvuzelas from a couple oh, years ago. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Uvula Vuvula Zelas? Uvula Zelas. Uvula Vuvulas. What if Uvulas did that? So that if you were to swing your head around, like at the, you know, at the end of you, your neck, I guess. You'd really, you'd really need to get some, <laughs> get some, uh, is it centripetal force or centrifugal force? Or centripetal. Which one is which? I'm, I don't know. Physics I don't know. Is, physics is dumb. I think only one of them is real and one of them is like totally made up or something. That's right. You heard it here first, folks. Physics is dumb. <laughs> Next question <laughs> comes from Alan Falcon. How much do you love popcorn? Why or why not? <laughs> I'll please, tell you one thing I know about popcorn. Please provide examples. Adam, when he was... I fucking love popcorn. When he was a, <laughs> when he was a wee... 22 undergrad or I guess grad that was what he gradded a wonder grad when Adam was, was, a, was a gradded when he was spending his days dissecting flyoveries which is literally a thing that he did yeah I was good at it uh, <laughs> <laughs> Adam subsisted on a diet of and I'm not even I'm not even making this up cookies bacon and popcorn cooked in bacon grease <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I had to do something with my leftover bacon grease. Yeah, you don't want to make bacon. You don't want to waste it. And to be fair, sometimes I made mashed potatoes and put the bacon grease in those. Damn. Sometimes. If so, I had an extra excess and just needed to. So I personally have no opinions about popcorn, but I think. I have a shitload of opinions. But Adam has, do you so. know why you don't have any opinions? It's because you've never cooked, cooked popcorn and bacon grease. But that seems more like a thing. Oh, you don't even bacon. like bacon, though. Yeah, you're not even a bacon. No, no, fan. I'm. I like bacon. Yeah, but don't you don't it. like bacon the way that normal people like bacon, <laughs> which is to say, normal people want to get married to bacon and have bacon babies. <laughs> I, I mean, there is almost no food item that I genuinely care about. I how believe how that. empty a void of life. <laughs> You must possess with your baconless love. No, man. I just, uh, you know, I just, I derive happiness from other things. You know, it's fine. Just the way it is. <laughs> That's fine. You know, Rocket, it- Rocket League is my bacon, I guess. Yeah, but you can't, you can't put Rocket League grease in your other food items is the only problem. Watch me, buddy. Watch me. <laughs> There's a lot of grease that gets produced when you play Rocket League. Dombrowski has a question. I think it's Dombrowski, maybe. Am I pronouncing Doom, it wrong? Dombrowski. Dombrowski. When was the first time you realized that you could actually make games for a living? Probably on January 21st of this year. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, we've barely, I don't think Uh, you consider what we've been doing, making it for a living until January. Yeah. But I think it's the phrasing, right? It's could actually. Yeah, that's only been proven in very recent history. I think I realized it was a possibility of a thing that really... I mean, that, that was, like, doable. It was probably when you guys launched Quadrupus Rampage. Yes. That was when you realized it. That was when I realized it. Something I, I realized about six months prior to that. No, personally, I realized it, like, the the day I got Game Maker, which was October 26th, 2010. Ooh, we should have an anniversary party. 
at 7 p.m. I downloaded Game Maker <laughs> on recommendation from Sam. And by the end of that night, I had made some like shitty click on fruit and don't click on bombs game. It's the classic the Game Maker tutorial. Yeah, so good. And I, I did no that. Deal. And it was kind of like that scene in The Matrix when Neo gets up and he just like sees the code, you know, where he's all of a sudden he just like understands I made Were that you also able to hack electronics in real life in your vicinity? Yeah, but I didn't care about that quite as much. Were uh, you able to reach into someone's body and pull out a bullet? Yeah, but at the time I was just was that in real life or in Matrix life alone in my apartment? I so. can't remember which life that's in. And nobody was getting shot around me, so I wasn't able to fully test it. Well, consider I could, yourself I could lucky. But why didn't you just shoot somebody to test it? Um, I I left my <laughs> shot. This seems like a solvable personal problem. Them. Yeah, that nobody uh, was going to. Well, I mean, we are. Is this America? You know, you can just yeah. go. You're shoot not people. doing your patriotic duty if you're not shooting people at random. At random. Yeah. But anyway, I think it was just a matter of as soon as I realized that I could make a game. Period. It just wasn't that much of an extrapolation to be like, people do this as a job. I could do this as a job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can make a game. I could probably figure out how to fill in the gaps. It turns so, out there were a lot of gaps, though. Yeah, there was like five years worth of gaps. Very, very <laughs> many gaps. But yeah, uh, I filled every fucking gap with as much work as I could. Well, also I think with other people. Mine yeah. came from the first game jam that Seth and I did together. I remember this moment. For a game called Lantern, spelled with a U, because it's silly. Mm-hmm. and You should have spelled it with a V. And five X's. Lantvern. It it was midnight. And what happened was was two. It was, we were. Wasn't it the case that our our team had decided to use Game Salad instead of Game Maker? And then they they were trying to prototype it and couldn't get it to work. Seth and I went home to the place, the condo I was living at the time. And Sam, you did not know exactly how much time I had been putting into learning Game Maker. Yeah, I had no idea. And so we managed to prototype it in like three hours and in Game Maker. And then we just sent a note to the team. We're like, hey, we're using Game Maker and Seth's programming it now. Also, it's done. And it was done. We did did it in three hours. And then it was just a matter (laughs) of building levels. And so... And so, uh, okay, I have a quick question for you. Do you remember the name of your team when you made Lantern? Mm -mm. Because I just looked it up on the internet. Oh, God. Oh, wait, wait. Something about Explosion Festival. Nope. No. The effing crowd cluster huddled mass thong clan and associates group. (laughs) (laughs) What? That's a a good one. (laughs) I can't believe we didn't stick with that. Yeah, anyway, sorry, I, I apologize for interrupting your, your train of thought. I just you interrupted really, right at the I point really where had to get crowd cluster Let's rewind back. Clan. Uh, I'm going to set the scene again. I'm sitting at the dining room table. Seth Take us to finishes. the chorus. I play it, and then I, I lean back in this white chair, this white desk chair I'm sitting in. I lean back, and I look over at Seth, and I say, I think I think we could actually do this. And Seth just looks at me, and he goes, yeah. And I, internally, it. I was thinking, I have known this for a long time, Sam. I didn't say that. <laughs> I just said yeah it's good because you shouldn't shit on people's dreams or epiphanies unless their dreams are toilets don't be shitting on epiphanies (laughs) this message brought to you by butterscotch shenanigans here's a good question from doob kid 456 what's the most stressful thing being a game studio of three people p.s keep up the good work guys like pretty much thanks, all of guy. it. Thanks, Steve Kid. Yeah, pretty much. Well, there's there's something actually I kind of realized about this, which is there's nothing successful or no, sorry, nothing stressful 
uh, about being a studio of three people. A Freudian slip there. There's nothing stressful about being three people if nobody cares what you're doing. That's true, actually. Yeah. Because back when we back when we were first starting. Uh, even being a studio of two people when we were like reaching out and so, like, yeah, we knew that the stuff we were making was probably not going to go anywhere. But at the same time, nothing demanded our attention at all, except for the games that we were making. Right. And like, mm -hmm. once you have several games out there that people are playing and, um, you know, whatever, then like, there's just a, it's just an endless stream of like tiny bug reports and suggestions. And like, it's, it's a simultaneously amazing to have a bunch of people really into the stuff that you're doing, but it's also very stressful to not be able to do anything about it because you only have three people. Yeah. I think you gotta, sense. you gotta kind of distance yourself enough that you can feel like you're not letting people down by say, not working, which is a very different thing from the beginning where you're just letting yourself down or your partner down. But then yeah. later on, if you're letting down a couple hundred thousand people because you're not getting on your shit on a Tuesday afternoon, like that could be a little. Yeah. And there's the and there's the problem of like if you decide to go like work on the next game instead of patching your old game. If your old game has a shitload of players, you're making a conscious decision to stop giving them stuff that they want to have. You know? <laughs> uh, whereas if you have an, an, a game that's already out that nobody gives a shit about and nobody ever played it, then you can just walk right away from that thing and no, you don't have to worry about it. Nobody cares, right? So you feel nothing. So, Adam, what about you? Since you run all the online back end. My answer to this was just going to be uh, interacting with other people. Is is the stressful thing? In what context? Just as in everywhere? all of the all of the creating <laughs> of stuff and like the you know all the programming, the making of games, even launching stuff on the technical side. There's something that's you know that's exciting and nerve wracking about well not something it's pretty obvious about launching a game because the whole thing could end up on fire and you're going to be in crisis mode. But the sort of the practical reality of that is you just you just handle it. You just get to work and you know you get the job. Yeah, done. that's true. But when it comes to handling people, now all of a sudden you have all these social pressures of like making sure you frame what you say in the right way so that you don't accidentally imply offend or upset. Yeah, you don't accidentally or... upset somebody. And and this is particularly true when we're interacting with with our player base because you know we get lots of comments a lot of the time. A lot of what we see are people basically bypassing all of the things that we set up for there in our convenience to answer their questions for them. They instead come straight to us and ask us a question that we've been asked a thousand times. And now all of a sudden we have to decide like, how do we handle this? Do we waste our time answering that question again? Do we try to divert them to the right place and then therefore maybe offend them? Do we just make a joke about it and hope that they take it in good faith? You know, like, and, and each one of those little, those little things, cause those are even the minor ones, right? Yeah. That's, but it's not, just that's so not, much, that's not so even much of our time and just yeah. being like a rager. You know? Right. And we have those too, but actually even those, because to me that becomes, those are so over the top that it's actually kind of amusing. Right. But it's actually kind of, it's just like the low level constant interactions with huge numbers of people who we don't know yeah. and trying to make sure that we don't fuck that up in a bad way. Like to <laughs> well, me, yeah, that, the is, thing that is, is our, a stressful part. You know, our intentions are good and you know, we, we love our players, and but people but, don't know that. But yeah. They don't know that. And, well, and, and in fact, they, they, they assume the opposite. opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that means that if you fuck up even a little bit and, and not even actually fuck up, but just don't do your framing right. That that whatever you say could be easily interpreted as being on the negative side because they're they're ready to interpret anything you say as being bad. Therefore, even if you say something completely neutral, it's going to be colored badly by the lens they're viewing stuff through. Yeah, I think it's actually why the the thing that I enjoy or that I have enjoyed most in the last couple of months is the the general sort of random comments we've gotten on Twitter, on Reddit, and the forums, or whatever else. 
where people say something along the lines of like, oh, you guys are just like my favorite people. Not even devs. There's like, you guys are just like some of my favorite people, you know? Because at that point, I'm like, this because is Because we because are, in fact, people. Yeah, they recognize, <laughs> they've recognized my humanity, and that was all I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Crashlands was just a huge project to get that done. Well, I mean, that is something that we've talked about in the past, how it's as as game developers, uh, we don't have a lot of opportunities to actually meet the people who play our games. You know, we can't go on tour like a musician can. And like, yeah, I guess we could go to PAX or something like that. But, you know, on the flip side, like whereas a musician can go, (laughs) they can go sell tickets to their show and meet their fans and stuff. That's actually part of their income, right? Like for us to go to PAX, we just, we spend a shitload of money to do that. <laughs> Like right. it's, it's a cost that we just have to eat, you know? Um, and it's super cool and it's something we want to do, but right now it's kind of rough. So I don't know. It's, there's a lot of, there's a, so many layers between us and our players that it's just nice to, to hear that sometimes. All right. We got, I'm going to do one more question. We had a ton of good ones this week. Yeah. So I wanted to hit you, all of them, but damn. Yeah. For those of you who didn't get your question answered, feel free to submit it again for next week. Cause these are some gold. If you guys have some particular good ones you want to answer, we should just answer them anyway. Well, I want to hit this one from Woland77, who asks... He asked a million questions this week. He did. And he said... Almost all of them were fantastic. It's my understanding that none of you have a formal game dev education. This is true. In fact, none of us have a formal education in any of the things that we're doing besides designing the game stuff at all. Um, but you're making you games mean anyway. including designing I mean including, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, I wanted to hear your over-the-shoulder impression of the proposal in the latest Extra Credits video, and then he linked to it. So uh, for those of you who who don't follow Extra Credits, it's a series on, very well-written series on game stuff in general. And you can check them out on YouTube. Just type in Extra Credits. It'll appear. So and you'll see this link because uh, it'll be in our answer questions list on our podcast page at podcast.bscotch.net. So you can just follow the link there. So uh, I purposely didn't watch it, and Adam and Seth did, so that they could explain it to me. You listeners would get to understand what it is, and then we could discuss it. Well, I think so, Seth summarized so tell me it what best happened. in the way that we wouldn't have to like go over the poll thing. Yeah, yeah. So the, the basic notes. the basic gist of the video is that game design courses at colleges and stuff, and game design majors tend to focus on teaching people either tools um, or just about very game specific ideas, like level design or balance. Um, but really. When people are hiring game designers or trying to like make games themselves, the things that really matter are not necessarily your specific knowledge of sort of like niche aspects of game design itself, but more of your ability to communicate with people, solve problems, think logically, uh, take feedback, and just generally have like a good design sense, which isn't to say game design sense, just design sense, period, and understanding like how people think and how people react to things and interact with things. Um, and so I think that's why it's the case that, you know, a lot, uh, there's there's really no, I wouldn't say that getting a game design degree would give you any more of an advantage when it comes to knowing how to properly design a game. And he said in the video too, and I think I I agree. It might even come as a disadvantage. Right. Because it, because Depending if you've gotten a, degree. yeah, if you've gotten a, a degree specifically in game design, then you've basically had somebody else tell you how to design games uh, in class. Right. And you've been tested on that whole thing. Whereas somebody else doesn't have any constraints placed upon their way of thinking about things. If they've just gotten a, you know, very hmm. broad education about stuff and just learned, learned how to learn and how to think and, and, 
you know, learned all kinds of different things about the world. Um, those are things that are directly translatable into game design as well. But it's actually translatable into literally Everything. every possible thing you can yeah. do. Because I'm a firm believer that you don't need to be trained in anything to be able to do it. Uh, I mean, you have to eventually like learn how to. Well, do you have it, to learn how to do, it, but you right? don't need to be <laughs> but, formally. But yeah, trained you don't need to be formally it. trained because if you know how to learn and how to ask questions and how to take other people's points of view, so that you can understand how people would view the thing that you're doing. Uh, you you can then learn how to do any specific task. And I, and I think one of the important things that, that, that in that particular video he just very briefly glossed over but mentioned was the ability to take someone else's point of view. Because I think this is one of the biggest handicaps that, that people have in really any, in just absolutely in general, any field, just in general. Yeah. But it's really important when you're like a sole developer working on a game or you're writing a novel or whatever, or you're doing a Kickstarter or you know, anything at all where you're going to now present this thing you're making to other people and try to get something from them. If you if you make it and present it from your own perspective, other people are absolutely not going to get it. Yeah, that's they're true. just not. And, and <laughs> Even if, even when you do the best you possibly can, if you don't, if you don't always and and constantly while you're making a thing, take a step back and just, and just think if I knew nothing about this thing that I'm making right now, would this make sense? Would my presentation of this make sense? And I know we struggle with this all the time. And every time one of us writes something, the other ones are constantly asking that when we read through and edit it. And then we come back and we're like, I don't think people are going to understand what the hell you're talking about here because they don't know what you know. Yep. So it's the, you have to have the ability to remove, temporarily remove knowledge from your own mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and to me, like that was one of the most important things I learned as a, so for me, going through college, I go through a PhD, I focused on how to learn. That was what I did. Like, yeah, I have a degree in a specific thing, but, but because of the school that I went to and because of just the kind of stuff that I like, which is all the sciencey kind of stuff, I was constantly focusing not on details, but just on the how of thinking and like how to logic through stuff. And, and I was specifically trained all the way through to just assume that nobody knew what the hell I was talking about and that I was wrong and that everybody else was wrong. And so when you, when you go through with that assumption, it, con it just forces you to always think, how could somebody perceive what I'm trying to explain here? And I think that is just absolutely one of the most essential skills to being able to to, to take something you don't know and turn it into something that you do know and can then go present or sell or whatever to other people. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the case. Like if you go into this, if you go into Steam Greenlight, this is a, it's a particularly rough, rough area of town to go to. <laughs> but as an example of basically seeing things, some things that get put on there and you look at it and you and you can ask yourself, like, how... How did this person think this was going to pan out, right? Like, Yeah, because like you'll look at them as a player and, be, and you'll just be like, obviously, like, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This, it's like Kickstarter, too. Sure, yeah. You can look at any of those and look at the things that people have put together. And you, as the, the ignorant reader or user or whatever, who doesn't know all the details about how the thing was made and, and all that stuff, like usually just instantaneously, you can look at it and be like, this is going to fail right. <laughs> or, or this is going to succeed, right? You can be, you can know almost instantaneously. I mean, I know for me, like when I go read comments on a, on a, uh, on a green light campaign, I just know that the moment that I look at the, at the green light page and look, look at the trailer briefly the description, I know immediately just how positive or negative the comments are going to be. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting that, yeah, that somebody can make something then. And I don't, I don't know if it's that they don't know how people are going to respond. It may just be a, like a wishful thinking thing. No, maybe? I think, I think it's just truly that they don't really, they don't honestly put themselves in somebody else's position. And yeah. Ask. It's, it's, it's actually a very hard thing to do. Honestly, it's very it's hard. Extremely hard to do. It's very hard to do. Actually. So I just got, uh, 
we have this interesting contact uh, from a, a student, a game that's interesting, a game development student, a game design student, who made a game for a class and he was asking for some feedback on it. So I did this this afternoon. So if that was what you heard me clicking on where there's like tons of tons of tabs oh, okay. going on. Um, and he made this game, which actually is a really brilliant concept uh, called Pulsar, I believe, where basic idea is there's a burning like fire chain that is anchored in the center inside of a, inside of a burning fire circle. And that chain swings around at a constant rate uh, all the way through, kind of like a clock face, right? Mm-hmm. Like the second hand on a clock. And of course, if you touch that, you die. If you touch the ring, you die. But as the, as the chain goes forward, it actually uh, leaves behind it uh, platform levels and then also burns down the ones that were in front of it. Okay, so it's actually constantly procedurally generating itself. And you have to you play this little tiny platforming guy and you're running around trying to get, you know, you have to basically run around this clock face, essentially. Um, So as you get closer to the center, it's easier to get away from the. Yeah, in in theory, in theory. Right. And so very cool concept. And uh, I played through it. I was like, oh, this is super neat. But along those dimensions, Adam, that you're just mentioning, as far as like uh, as a brand new player coming into this, like it took me 15 minutes to figure out like what the fuck is going on. (laughs) Right. and there's, there's plenty of just like small feedback pieces that are missing that would make it such that those don't happen at all and that I could just enjoy the crap out of the game. So, you know, I sent a note back and just gave them all the feedback on that stuff. But it was very interesting to play through because I was like, oh, this is like, this is exactly what the problem is that you guys are talking about right here, which is that uh, likely this person hasn't played this with anybody, watched anybody play it who's brand new or just hasn't actually practiced, hasn't had to practice that ability to step into the player's shoes like really, really fully. Um, and actually like, watching people play your game or even experience if you make anything just watching someone try to put it together or try to interact with it is always enlightening it just Wait, no we had to what. do that about every couple months with Crashlands throughout development we would just yeah. sit somebody down and watch them play it and just furiously take notes and try to figure out what things weren't making sense what needed to be more clear what was clearly missing you know all that stuff yeah so. and every time we were we were genuinely shocked at the amount of stuff that we needed to do to make the game better <laughs> like it was every single time and then know? every time we did all that stuff we were genuinely shocked stuff. again at the next round yeah so yeah. listen rough. Okay, well, I think that's probably all the time we have for this week. Sure. Um, let's. We got a couple quick announcements at the end. Uh, we decided to to move these announcements to the end of the podcast instead of spamming everybody in the face at the beginning. So now we're going to spam you in the face at the end. Uh, so we have just a few things real quick. We have a Facebook page for the podcast, which is at facebook.com slash coffee with butterscotch, uh, unless we somehow end up with a shorter abbreviation name for the podcast in which case you know maybe we'll we'll change it to that uh we also have t-shirts that are up at bit.ly slash shirts and those are uh going to be expiring in a sense the orders will stop being taken in what five days or four days or something yeah uh, may 1st may 1st so if you don't get your t-shirt before may 1st you'll never get a t-shirt again <laughs> for a while just any t-shirt until we start selling them again <laughs> um, so yeah, if you want to, if you want to get on that, we also have tank tops. Uh, we've got men's and women's styles for all different things. We have sweat sweatshirts, even like hoodies. Uh, so all kinds of good stuff. And again, that's over at uh, bit.ly slash Scott shirts. Uh, we also have, there's a, a Kickstarter going on which is for the documentary called Brace for Impact. And they're, pr- they're struggling pretty hard to hit the, hit the goal, but it's the story of the development of Crashlands and about Sam battling cancer while making this game and just kind of the three of us doing this stuff. Um, it's being produced by a film crew called Forever an Astronaut. And if you guys want to go, uh, go check that out and back that thing, I think there's only like four days left or three mm-hmm. days left or something. Um, 
So that is over at, where's it? Bit.ly slash Crashlands Movie. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's called Brace for Impact. It's going to be super cool, but I think it's just kind of hard to to sell a documentary on Kickstarter, probably. <laughs> so it is. Yeah. They need all the help they can get. Um, and then the last but not least, we we do have an open position at our studio, which uh, we've we've talked about a little bit in the past couple episodes. But the position is called Game Mechanic. It is a game programmer position for people for the for basically maintaining, updating. And balancing, like keeping our our existing portfolio of games up to date, and you know, constantly having fresh content and stuff like that. So, whoever is the game mechanic will be responsible for for all of that. Uh, so that job is now taking applications, and that's over at jobs.bscotch.net. It will be a fairly involved application process. So, if you are interested, I would definitely recommend heading on over there and and reading through all that stuff and and getting started. And it will be time limited. We don't, we don't know yet when we're going to turn the thing off, but it's not going to be up. As soon as we start finding some good people, then we're just going to stop taking new applicants because, you know, yep. we got so games to make. We need to hire somebody. So don't hesitate. And this will, this position will involve a ton of using Game Maker Studio. Um, so if you have knowledge in that area or if you can pick it up pretty easily, then, you know, definitely, definitely check it out. Okay. Anything else, you guys? Yep. Okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.